sometimes we can all have the experience of giving thanks to God for answered prayer, perhaps having seen Him work in a dramatic way, and be very grateful to that, and, you know, really ascribe the glory to God and say, God did that, God did such and such in my life. Or if we see something which we'd call really providential that happens maybe in the news or in world events, you know, perhaps um, somebody was in prison for their faith, gets released, and, you know, something at the big dramatic level, we're very ready to go, that was God, that was an answer to prayer, that was great. And I wonder if we're as keen or as able to see God working in things which we might consider much further down, much lower down on a level of excitement or of drama. I wonder, do we go to bed every night and go, God did everything that happened in my life today. I can give him thanks for all of it. Uh, And I'm guilty of this myself, is that we have a tendency towards, and maybe it's something about our culture, but to uh, lean towards the dramatic and to look for God in that, and the humdrum, the plodding along, the everyday, not quite as ready to say, well, I was God at work there. And I love the story in the book of Ruth, and I love the fact that it really draws out the ordinary, and that's what I hope with God's help to think about a bit this morning, particularly the fact that God is in control of the whole thing, the whole operation, the whole story of the book of Ruth, and it it teaches so beautifully that God actually does hold the world in His hands, as I said earlier in my prayer, that He is actually in control of everything in a way that the characters can't see, in a way that often we can't see. Gordon spoke about last week focusing on uh, Naomi and her actions and how in many ways she was affected by the difficulties of the times they lived in. The book of Ruth happens in, as Gordon said, the time of the judges, which was, well, we read judges as a church last summer. It was not a nice time. A lot of anarchy, a lot of people doing what they want, a lot of bloodlust. It's pretty messy. It's pretty raw. And I love how the book of Ruth happens within that. It's almost like them being put together in the Old Testament in the Bible, and this happens all the time in God's purposes, is look at the glimmer of light that's breaking out. Because, you know, the main refrain in Judges is everyone just did whatever they wanted. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then in the book of Ruth, we see that actually there were some people not just doing what was right in their own eyes. They were doing what was right before God. They were doing justice and doing mercy, doing the things that God loves. And that's a context the book of Ruth happens in, and it brings out to the fore this fact that God is sovereign and He's in control, but He's working through and with people. So what I want to think about is how God's provision, what He provides, what He does for us, the things He takes care of for us every day, we see it firstly in this in chapter 2 today, we see it in the ordinary, the ordinary things of Ruth's life. We see God's provision in her and her mother-in-law's suffering. And then lastly, we see God providing the greatest gift He can provide for anyone is His favor. God's ordinary provision, His provision in suffering, and God providing His favor. Well, firstly, we see God's provision in the ordinary for Ruth and her family. We know from chapter 1 that they were fleeing famine. They were going around the Middle East looking for somewhere to get bread and there's some bread in Bethlehem and Naomi's hometown from her, her people come from there. And they get there, and I love what happens in verse 2. 
Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And what we see from Ruth doing here is the fact that she's intentional, that she knows what the stakes are. She knows that there's perhaps not a very good chance. They are not people of means. They clearly don't own any land or any fields, which was the main way that you could get providence and sustenance back then. And she decides to do something about it. She says, let me go. She's there with her mother-in-law. They don't have food or providence. And Ruth takes it upon herself to do something about that and to take some action. And there's actually, it's, it's packed with so much meaning and it's packed with so much significance because what she's actually doing is acting nobly. She's showing honor to her mother-in-law. And this happens again. In some ways, the book of Ruth is about the law of God because you see these good people who act according to God's law, who do exactly what God has commanded. And so, one of the Ten Commandments is, honor your father and your mother. That's what Ruth is doing here. She's picking up that mantle and going, I'm going to honor my mother-in-law. And I, she's taking it on as her mother. And I'm going to go. And I'm going to try and do something and provide for us. She's also showing amazing courage. You know, you see from verse 22 later on that it, there was a real possibility Ruth could be harmed. That's why Boaz gives her some covering and some protection. She's going out into probably what's mostly a man's world to try and pick up grain stacks, whatever she can. She's going into fields which are a good bit outside of the main townships. You know, in the ancient world, people would have lived in small probably fairly circular townships just for the reason of protection. Um, they didn't have a standing army or police force, the, way, the things we take for granted. But the fields are a good bit out beyond that. And so there's just that little bit more danger and lawlessness. And she says, no, I'm going to go and take a, a chance on that, and I'm going to try and provide for me and my family. And she also just basically shows responsibility. I'm going to do something about the situation. She doesn't throw her hands up in despair. She doesn't feel sorry for her herself, perhaps in a little bit of contrast to what um, Gordon was showing about Naomi last week, but she acts faithfully. She's almost like a picture of, you know, at the end of um, Proverbs, and I think the end of Proverbs, the chapter, I can't remember if it's 30 or 31, but the noble woman, she's amazing, she's virtuous, she looks after her husband, she makes business deals, she makes her own clothes, she makes her own food, and I think more often than not, that chapter is used as a guilt trip for women. It's, it's a lot to live up to. But, but Ruth is, is kind of acting in the, in the grain of, of that woman. Of, she's the ultimate virtuous woman. She's just got this beautiful attitude, this beautiful character, and she acts really faithfully to try and do something about her situation. And God has provided for her, but it's in a very ordinary way. She's going and people are paid to work as laborers for the day and harvest her. She's got none of that status, but she goes, I'm going to get whatever I can. And she does get. She gets what the equivalent today, what she manages to bring home is something like 20 liters of goods. It's incredible what she manages with hard work and industriousness. But the point is she takes responsibility for her situation. She doesn't sit around and she just decides to act and to do the best with what she's got. And I think that we all need to get a bit better at seeing that God might be providing for us in the ordinary business of our lives, in the ordinary things that are around us. 
So Ruth doesn't own any land, but she goes and finds the provision that's there. There's an Old Testament law in Deuteronomy that says that good, honest farmers should leave a bit up at the edges of their fields for people in Ruth's situation, for the poor, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the foreigner who can't provide for themselves in the country. And she goes and just, she knows there's just this little sliver of a chance, and she goes, I'm going to go and try and do something about it. And I just, as I was studying this this week, I just felt the weight of Ruth's example of acting on what you've got, even though it might feel a bit ordinary, of putting one food in front of the other, whether that's at your job, whether that's in your faith, the basic disciplines of looking after your faith, praying and reading the Bible, serving with God's people in the body of the church. Maybe it's sometimes, and I think again in in our Christian culture, we've heavily weighted things towards um, supernatural intervention, divine guidance. You, You know, we've all been there where we're trying to figure out what God's will is for going this way or the next. And I wonder if the story of Ruth is a good counterbalance to that, to teach us that sometimes God's will is, is the thing in front of you. What, what God's provided is the ability for you to work and put one foot in front of the other and to take whatever he's provided for you and make your world just that little bit better and do so acting with those principles of courage and responsibility and honoring those around you. Because God reveals more about how we're to behave and act and what it looks like to be a Christian and a God follower. There's more about that in the Bible than there is on when you're at a crossroads, this is how you know whether to go to the right or the left. And actually, I think, I think Romans particularly in chapter 12 teaches this because it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know what God's will is. And that would take a long time to unpack, but I think basically that it means that as you are transformed by God's Word, and you're becoming more and more of the kind of person that thinks like God. You know, your chief desires are for justice and for mercy and for things that God cares about, then more and more you make good choices. More and more you know what to do because, well, I think this would be pleasing to God. That's all Ruth does. She just acts faithfully. And I think sometimes this can be a call to, you know what, you don't need to sit around and pray anymore. You just need to do something. Sometimes we just need to act because God's provision is already there in the ordinary. What about God's provision, secondly, in suffering? Well, Ruth's in great suffering, so is Naomi. They're in the ancient world, they're widows, they're in poverty, there's the danger. At the end of the day, they're prey. They don't have, in an ancient society, they don't have the protection of a male in their household. They're actually, especially Ruth, is somewhat isolated as a foreigner. Despite the fact that um, if you read through the Old Testament law, um, there is so much that God puts in about having care and respect for the foreigner, for the person who is not like you, um, and is somewhat vulnerable in your midst. Uh, despite that, that's not the way it worked out. You know, the, the human heart is a very old thing, and uh, the uh, racism and xenophobia were issues in the ancient world as much as they are today. We fundamentally, as humans, are, are, seem to be, without God's help, fearful creatures that try and surround ourselves and barricade ourselves and uh, try and push the outsider away. And 
Ruth and Naomi live in that existence. It's hard for us to fully grasp the weight of it, but, you know, their existence was under threat from multiple directions, and they're living through the experience of that. So there's all the emotional pain of their bereavement. They've both been bereaved recently. Uh, They've lost family. But then they're living with this threat to their existence the whole time. The Bible is such a real book. It gives us real stories. And into this picture of their suffering and their pain, God weaves the story of Boaz, sorry, the character of Boaz. He shows up as if out of nowhere, although we know from verse 1 he was always going to come into the story. And then in verse 14, Boaz says, come here, have some bread and dip it in wine vinegar. He starts showing her the favor. And then Boaz gave orders to his men in verse 15, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her, the bundles, and leave them there for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Boaz is the great man who loves the law of God. He's doing exactly what the law said should happen for those who are widows, those who are suffering, those who are on the margins of society. He's making sure that there's going to be enough for them. And Boaz, in this story and in the rest of Ruth, acts as a kind of a kind of type figure of what God is like and how God deals with us. And we see him foreshadowing so many things, especially about Jesus. But the point is what Boaz is doing here is he's showing the heart of God, which is a heart of mercy towards those who are in difficulty and in suffering. He's showing that even in suffering, even in great difficulty, God makes provision. God doesn't just provide in the ordinary. He provides when our suffering and our our pain is acute, and he provides, I guess what you could call, crumbs of mercy and make sure that they get to us. It can be hard to see at times, but I think if we all think about what our suffering won't be exactly the same as Ruth's, it'll perhaps include similar overlap, but We all have our own journeys, our own stories. We all suffer differently in the world and face different difficulties. But I'm sure if we think about it, we can see where God has left crumbs of his mercy and his goodness, and they have entered into our lives and experience, and we can thank him and give him glory for those things. I think what I love about the Scriptures, and Christianity in particular, is there are such sweet promises about what happens when we suffer from a Christian point of view. So in Psalm number 34, God says that he personally is near to the brokenhearted, that there's actually a way you can experience God and his nearness when you're in difficulty and turmoil and suffering that isn't repeatable in any other experience. More than that, over against all the other worldviews, philosophies, and, and other world religions, Our God himself comes and suffers as a human being. And Hebrews tells us that he suffered in every way that we know. He was tempted in every way that we know. And so he's gone through that road, that the valley of the shadow of death, whatever it is, the greatest fear you and I have that we all dread, whether it's death itself or some other horrible thing. Jesus knows the darkness and the agony of walking through that. And indeed, even more so, multiplied so, by bearing the sins of the world on his shoulder. And so, 
through the Bible stories and the teaching of Scripture and how God draws near to us, it teaches us to suffer well. It teaches us that as much as we can feel at times that we've been abandoned by God in suffering, that it's not the case. And perhaps even that it's okay to feel like that is the case because it can be immeasurably difficult. But I think a life of praise sometimes looked like going and doing the next thing as Elizabeth Elliot, who suffered greatly, actually said, that's what got her through her husband's death, was just doing the next thing, and believing that God is being merciful to us and drawing near to us, even if we can't exactly see or feel it. I love the way the hymn writer puts it. Um, Annie Johnston Flint, uh, meditating on verses from Psalm 42, which speaks about God coming over us with great billows from the sea, the emotional experience of suffering, And she says, they are his billows, whether they go over us, hiding his face and smothering spray and foam, or smooth and sparkling, spread a path before us and to our haven, bring us safely home. They are his billows. He brings us through them. So has he promised his love will do, keeping and leading, guiding and upholding to his sure harbor. He will bring us through. God is near to the brokenhearted. And regardless of what we suffer or how we suffer, we can know that Jesus has suffered and that God's actually made us provision to get through that suffering, which is just an amazing truth. Just as God provided Boaz and the covering for Ruth, it'll look different for us, but God will provide what we need, the crumbs of mercy to get us through our suffering. That's God's provision in the ordinary, in the suffering. But then lastly, I just want to think about briefly God's greatest provision, his favor. And this is really where we see the gospel leaping off the page in the story of Ruth. So Ruth has decided to throw her lot in with Naomi, that amazing verse in chapter 1 where she says, "Uh, your people will be my people and your God my God. And she clings to her and she basically displays faith. She says, I I want in on on this covenant you have with your God where he's bound himself to you as a people. I I want some of that. And she throws her lot in. She comes with Naomi. She's drawn, we could say, because, you know, we've got the whole book and we can see God's hand working in it. And we could say she's been divinely drawn to come and to join in the purposes of God where he is. But she has been drawn And she is finding security. And then she finds all this favor with Boaz. She says at the beginning of the chapter, I'm going out to see if I can can find favor with someone. Because we all seek that. And she sought that. She knew that if she didn't find favor, they were probably done for. They needed to find someone who would show compassion and mercy upon them. She clings to Naomi's people. And she in many ways takes a bet and it pays off. Boaz speaks kindly to her in verses 12 to 13. And I can't help but be amazed at how much Boaz just looks like the Lord Jesus and the way he treats Naomi, offering protection, covering. He speaks gently to her. He's actually something of just the good and noble prince that we read about in, in so many stories. There's something about that in Boaz. Boaz actually speaks as an envoy of someone who represents God and, and God's people and extends the blessing of being part of God's people and invites others into it. And that's exactly what he's doing with Ruth. A bit like, that's all we hope to do with the gospel going out today, is going, look, we've found favor. Come and join us. There's a way to find favor with God. 
And you know, R- Ruth is repeatedly called in, in these stories the, the Moabite. It's stressed again and again. She's a Moabite. She's an outsider. She doesn't belong ethnically or racially at all to these people. She's, she's a refugee, essentially. That's kind of where the word comes from, someone looking for refuge. And she comes under this protection and safety. You see it in verses 22 and 23. 22, we see the protection of her physical safety. And then she gleans and then she's protected in order that she can get what she needs, the sustenance. And she lives with her mother-in-law. The story ends with an amazing happy ending. I think what's really important that we see in Ruth finding favor is that everyone needs to find favor. Every human being, nobody is exempt from this need to find favor. We, from the earliest age when we're tiny babies, we crave security with our own families. There's really good evidence that if we don't get that early on, the rest of life is immensely difficult. That's why we have so much difficulty um, in our society today, because that, that precious bond, that idea of covering and security is disrupted um, wrongly for so many dear children. And it's actually just though an echo of the fact that we're made in God's image for relationship and community with him. And so every single human being on the face of the earth looks for that divine connection to make their way back to God in some sense or other. And I would argue people look for it in all kinds of different places, whether it's the good things that the world can offer, whether it's um, career, whether it's family itself, thinking, well, if I make this my God, this will satisfy me. And, And ultimately, none of them do because people are seeking that divine favor. And what I love about the way the story plays out and Boaz shows that favor to Ruth is it just shows us what Jesus does for people who are looking for favor. You know, famous words in Matthew, come to me, all you who labor, all you who are looking for that favor, all who are looking for the deepest satisfaction in life, come to me and I'll give it to you and I'll give you a rest from looking for that missing ingredient, that thing that will actually make your heart settle and stop keeping you awake at night and stop worrying about death and stop worrying about judgment and stop running from internal regret and guilt and fear. Do you know God's divine favor this morning? It's great to see God's provision in the ordinary and in suffering, but ultimately, friends, what we really need is the provision of his favor and to know it belongs to us, to know that Jesus has said, come to me, and we've accepted. And friends, it's a free offer. It says in prophet Isaiah, come, even people who have nothing, and buy and get favor from God. Buy it from me without money and without price, and your hearts will know satisfaction. And my friends, for those of us who have tasted of that, this is the great mission that we're all called to, because there is a world looking for divine favor. And we have it. And we know what it feels like and tastes like. And it's to be like Boaz and to extend it and to cover and say, come in. Come in because we found refuge. We found safety. We found community. We found favor with God. And it's the greatest provision he's given us and he can provide it for you. May God bless his word to us this morning. Let's pray.